0: Well, good morning, New Hope, glad that you're here this morning as we finish off our series called Christmas Uncut. So whether you're here this morning or on live stream, welcome. We've been looking at the editor's edition of the Christmas story, meaning this, that the editor's edition of a movie is typically all the film that has been taken, whether it's bloopers or whether it's good stuff or whatever it might be, and It is raw, and then it is cut, and then sent out to the theaters or Netflix or wherever for the final story. But what we have seen over this series of Christmas Uncut is that we have seen whether it has to do with the previews, the prophets telling of Jesus' birth 700 years before it even happened, or we looked at the supporting actress role of Mary, The mother of Jesus. Last week we looked at the supporting cast of like the shepherds and the angels in the story. And what we've realized is that, man, it's a messy story. There's a lot of mystery in it. There's all kinds of uh, avenues in there as far as, uh, you know, the virgin birth. Yeah, right. Or 700 years prior this was predicted. Yeah, right. And we find that God leaves everything in the story. And typically, if you want someone to believe the story, you make it clear and you make it easy to believe, right? And so this morning, I want to close out our story and I want us to look at the starring role in the story. Now, when it comes to a production or movie whatever, there's always the star, right? Whether the actress or the actor. And what we see in the Christmas story is there are actually two starring roles, There is the star of Bethlehem, the little s, right? But then there's the star of Bethlehem, the big S, the Savior. And so this morning, I'm going to get technical on you. So I really need you to pay attention for the next 18 minutes, right? Because I'm going to dive us into the first part of the story, the Bethlehem star, the little s, And if we can believe that, then is there a possibility that we can believe in the big S, the Savior? Okay? So Fred Larson started his journey in looking into the Star of Bethlehem when he and his daughter were out front putting the manger scene on their lawn. And when he was putting the star up, his daughter started asking him questions about the star. So it put him on this whole search to understand what the star of Bethlehem is all about or is it truly just, yeah, it's just this myth or is it the mainstay of the Christmas story? Now, if something is a mainstay, it acts as a chief support or part. The star of Bethlehem did just that. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it when you've put the star on top of your tree, but why is it we pay attention to the star? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. It recounts unusual or even impossible astronomical events at Christ's birth. For many doubters, the account of the star is easily dismissed as, eh, it's just a myth. For many believers... Like you and I, sometimes it's this mystery that we, well, I just got to take it on faith that it happened, right? But what happens if we combine current historical scholarship, astronomical fact, and an open mind here this morning? Even if you are not a traditional Christian or of Jewish background, belief, you might feel a bit uneasy searching the stars for signs. Many people have concluded that there isn't really anything about astrology. Or if there is something about astrology, it's something that maybe we shouldn't even be messing with, right? We shouldn't even look at or pay attention to. So if we're looking at the star of Bethlehem, are we in fact doing astrology? Well, no. Astrology holds that stars exert forces on men and women. It's like they have power. By contrast, the Bible refers to the celestial objects as carrying signs from the Almighty, not being the Almighty themselves. They are the created, not the creator. Stars, what we see in the heavens, are powerless. We see in scripture that God also prohibits worship of what we see above or even holding such things in too high of regard. We read in Deuteronomy 4.19, when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations Under heaven. With this still, though, the Bible does make a surprising number of references to signs in the heavens. Both the Old and the New Testaments assume that what happens up there actually matters. Astrology assumes that stars are causes of earthly events. The Bible, though, assumes that they can be messages about earthly events. Scholars believe that the book of Job is the oldest biblical text, likely originating before the time of Abraham or even the time of the Jewish nation. It's interesting then to find that the oldest book speaks of the stars and the constellations with respect. It states that God set them in place, and it references the same constellations that we refer to today. So if we look at Job 9, it says, he is the maker of the bear, Ursa Major, and Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. Many other biblical texts as well talk about how God has arranged the stars. If we look at Isaiah 40, it says this, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Jesus himself said in Luke 21, 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and stars. So when we get to the Christmas story, We read in Matthew chapter 2, the Magi, they show up in Jerusalem because they have seen what? This unusual star. Magi is sometimes referred to or translated wise men. Now let's pause for a moment and ask the question, do you know what would have happened if actually three wise women would have shown up that day? You know what? I mean, they would have asked directions, they would have been on time, they'd have been there to deliver the baby, clean the stable, they probably would have brought a hot dish, and they probably would have brought gifts that were like practical, like diapers or something, right? I love this little comic right here. You know, the virgin birth is, you know, I believe, but finding three wise men, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> Wives would agree with that, Right? So the word Magi, the actual root of it is the word magic. Now, this doesn't mean that they were magicians, but they were learned men in general who studied the physical world and were knowledgeable of many things, including the stars. Magi were often court astronomers who were consulted by the rulers of the day And they helped with the affairs of the state. Whatever happened in the sky over Bethlehem indicated to these Magi, these wise men, that there was, first of all, number one, a significant birth. Secondly, it had to do with kingship. Thirdly, it had to do with the Jews. Because we read in Matthew 2, 2, that they asked this question, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews, right? Now, what's interesting in Matthew 2, 3, it says, When King Herod heard of this news, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Why was this so? I mean, if there's a birth of a child, usually it's this ecstatic thing, right? Right? Well, historians tell us that respect for the stars and guidance derived from them was at its peak during this time. Both ancient historians and the Bible make it clear that the Jews at this time were expecting a birth of a Jewish ruler. Why? Because it was prophesied. Years ago, it would take place. If we would look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 17 it says in there that from Abraham to David is 14 generations and from 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile and then from the Babylonian exile there will be another 14 generations to the birth of the Messiah so it was the 14th generation people knew hey Around this time, something's going down, right? Something's going to happen. And it was accepted during that day that stars could announce the arrival. So for example, about 60 years earlier than this, in 63 BC, Magi made a presentation to the Roman Senate. They described stars then indicating that a new ruler had been born. Because of the potential threat to the Roman Senate at that time, they ordered the death of all boys within the age range of when the birth would occur. As we read in the book of Matthew, we find out King Herod, what? He does the same thing. The Magi do not return to him to tell him about Jesus' birth. So he orders that all boys two years and younger be put to death. Why? Because he doesn't want any competition for power at all. And so we see this take place. He may have been following some sort of Roman precedent and explains why the town was uneasy when the Magi came, the wise men came and they were looking for the birth Of this new king. Now, beyond just the historical background that I just talked about, I want us to look at as well the astronomical facts of the story. Let's look at the stars. Jesus said himself in Matthew 10 30 that even the very hairs of our head are all numbered. If God is so detailed to know the hairs of our head, he is detailed to know exactly when the star of Bethlehem needed to appear, right? From the very instant at which God flung the universe into existence, he also flung into existence when the star of Bethlehem would need to like, show up in order to announce the birth of the Savior of the world. And he also flung into existence the exact time that the Savior would appear in the form of a baby. What the Magi saw was the two brightest planets in the heavens. Venus, known as the mother planet, moving eastward among the stars on what appeared to be a collision course with the planet Jupiter, which actually is 10 times bigger than Earth and what they refer to as the planet of kings. So sort of interesting. So small was the separation between them that by the naked eye, it appeared not as two stars, but as one brilliant star shining bright in the sky. So though the two planets were actually millions of miles apart, back then, In Babylon, to the naked eye in 2 BC, it appeared as one incredibly bright star dominating the sky. Now, the conjunction of Jupiter and Venus has evoked astonishment of modern astronomers. As you can see in this picture here, they're not together, but they're moving towards one another to pass by each other. But many astronomers over the last 25 years have been looking at this because of its amazement. And it's interesting, David Rennick, who is the news editor for Australia's Sky and Space magazine, did a research on this phenomenon. And because of technology today and modern astronomy today that they have, they have been able to reproduce what actually took place that day in the constellations back at 2 BC. And what they realized as well is that during this time period, most of the remarkable constellations and what was happening in the sky took place than ever before over the last 3,000 years years. This conjunction was so close and so bright that today it's displayed in the majority of planetariums around the world and talked about by scientists who probably some don't even know that it's connected actually with the birth of the Messiah of the world. The reason they do it and that they show it is it's such a spectacular event, and light show. Well, we've looked at the Bethlehem star, the little s, but I want to shift now to the Bethlehem star, the starring role, the big S, the savior. And again, if we can look at the historical and the astronomical background and recognize, wow, what took place is actually fact, Could then the birth of the big S, the Savior, in reality be fact as well? The Bible says the stars can carry messages from God on high. If that is true, then behind any other message, the fundamental meaning of these events is that God is there, like God is with us, like God cares about us. The stars were part of his communication to those living in the Magi's day. Through our understanding of what happened in the sky, he continues to speak to us today. When God called Moses into a closer relationship with himself, he used a startling event in the natural world a bush burned, but it was not consumed by the fire. The burning bush was God's invitation to Moses to draw near, to be more curious, to seek him out, to learn more about this incredible living God. The Star of Bethlehem, capital S, Savior, is an invitation for people to draw near and be in relationship with God of the universe. A natural response when we see a sign is to draw near. You want to see more. You want to seek out more. So today, most people believe in God. Wherever you travel around the world, they worship some God. And most people believe that God's created us for relationship with him. We're simply built that way. As French philosopher Pascal stated, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. History shows that even through relentless, brutal repression of religious expression, it cannot drive out from us humans this desire to know about God. Still, according to the Bible, there is this disconnection, though, between God and man. We are interested in God, yes, but we are more interested in ourselves. This is at the heart of what the Bible calls sin. The Jewish prophet Isaiah describes our sinful, self-centered way in Isaiah 53, 6. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to from God is the payment that we receive for our sin. Paul says in Romans 6, 23, the wages or the payment for our sin is spiritual death, meaning separation from God for eternity for our life. But if God did create us for relationship with him, surely he would also provide a way for people to come into this relationship with him, right? To overcome the problem of sin and the spiritual death it brings. So the fuller message of the star of Bethlehem is that he has provided that way. He has provided the true star of the Christmas story, the Messiah, the Christ. And we read in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible that it says that the Messiah was willingly and desiring to give his life for us so that our sin could be paid for, taken care of. This is what it says in the completed verses of what I read earlier. Because earlier, I gave you the first half of the verses, which is the bad news. But I want to give you the rest of the verse, which then shifts to the good news for us. In Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the sin of us all. Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the fuller message of the star is good news. That Christ the Messiah has come. The Messiah that paid our penalty of sin. It is possible to have a relationship with God. And that is God's desire for us. Through Jesus Christ, God is inviting you and he's inviting me into relationship with him. The star of Bethlehem, the little star, was amazing. But it was amazing in the fact that it was to introduce us to the big star, the savior of the world, the Messiah, the Son. But we need to accept the gift that he has provided for us, the forgiveness of our sins. And it's just like Christmas, right? When someone says they have a gift for you, your belief that they do moves you to accept it. And my question to you today is, do you Believe. Do you today accept the gift of Jesus as your Savior? And so I'd ask that you just bow your heads with me this morning. And if you are sitting here and you have never made that decision, oh, yeah, you believe in Jesus, you've heard of him, but you've never in your life could recall accepting the gift. Of salvation, then I invite you to do it this morning because this is Christmas. And so I ask that you just repeat this prayer after me. Father God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit that my sin separates me from you. I admit I can do nothing to pay for it. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I accept what you've done on the cross for me. That in being crucified, you paid for my sin debt. You've made me right with my Father in heaven. So I acknowledge you today as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for salvation. For this life, for the next. Thank you for the gift of your Savior, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, I would love for you to let us know. Just fill out a connection card in front of you. Just put your name and write yes and put it in the giving box on the way out. Because this is the reality of Christmas. This is why God sent his son. It isn't so we could have a cutesy little story. There's a lot involved. It isn't so that we can just shop till we drop. There's a lot involved. And it involves the salvation of your life. Period. So enjoy the greatest gift. Merry Christmas.